Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, everyone. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Hi everyone, welcome to The Greener Side, where we help you achieve your goal of moving overseas. Today we go to the land of the rising sun, Japan. We speak with Ram Tan, who has lived in Japan since 2018. In this episode, we talk about its work visa, its weird and wonderful culture, and how its society functions day to day. I am a big fan of Japan. I even once thought about working there, so I'm super excited to be able to know more about it. Maraming salamat, Ram, and welcome to this podcast. Hello. <laughs> so before we start, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm Ram, uh, of course, originally from the Philippines. Back then in the Philippines, I, after graduation, I spent about six years of doing marketing. And then it was at that point where I decided that, oh, I wanted to move elsewhere. So yeah, I'm right now I'm 31 years old and living here in Japan. Mm. And of all the countries that you could have gone to, why was Japan the place that you wanted to work in? So first off, I wasn't really focused on Japan in the first place, right? Uh, so at the time, I was a bit uh, sick and tired of the Philippines. Especially the number one reason I wanted to move was uh, I hated the daily commute to work, which took me about two to three hours driving, mm. right? So that was my first priority is to find a place with a good public transportation, right? right. And uh, tied to the fact that at the time I left, uh, Duterte had been in office about a year and mm. <laughs> I was also quite tired of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I really just wanted to leave the Philippines. So I was actually looking around multiple different countries, countries like um, Singapore, Australia, Japan, Taiwan. But there was something else that... I would say I focused on in searching for another place is that I was used to a lifestyle in the Philippines where it's easy for me to set off on the weekend, go to the mountains, go to the beach, um, do some surfing. So I didn't want to live in a tiny city state like Singapore, for example, mm. where to go do something somewhere, you'd have to fly out. Yeah. Right. So... I was looking at the bigger countries in that sense. But at the same time, I was also quite interested in Japanese culture. It's very, very different. So I was just looking around and then it just so happened that uh, a job offer came first from Japan. And uh, that's what I took. Ah, so you were, while you were in the Philippines, you began applying for jobs, including Correct. in Japan. Correct. And you were accepted into one of these jobs. Correct. Mm. So could you tell us a bit more about that? So to be able to get that job and move to Japan, what visa did you have to apply for? So with regards to the visa, um, since I already had an employer, I went straight to convert my visa into a work visa because I still had my five-year tourist visa at the time. So with that application, they have to cancel your tourist visa and give you a work visa. Mm, okay. And what documents would you need to be able to transition into a work visa? 
So it's it's very simple. Um, so you need, of course, your valid passport. Uh, you need a recent a photograph, and you need two things coming from your employer. Right. The first one is uh, basically a letter of employment uh, telling how much you will be earning, what kind of job you will be taking. Right. And the other one is what they call a certificate of eligibility. So this is something that your employer needs to request from, I think, the Ministry of Immigration of Japan. And then they send it to you. And then once you have that, you just submit it. Okay, I see. And you don't need to be fluent in Japanese to be able to get that work visa? So no, not at all. Um, you don't need any Japanese for to get the work visa. Getting the work itself is harder, right? Mm. Uh, once you have those documents, you just bring it to the accredited travel agency in the Philippines and um, they process it for you. Okay, so could you tell me how hard was it to be able to apply for that job, to be able to be accepted into a Japanese company? Um, so it's not actually a Japanese company. It's a fo- I, w- I was employed by a foreign company that's work- that has worked in Japan. So to talk more specifically about my situation, since I did six years of marketing in the Philippines, uh, this company was a recruitment company that was just starting out trying to explore doing recruiting in the marketing field. So they needed someone with knowledge and expertise in marketing uh, to be able to help build the team. Oh, I see. All right. So they got you for that. And how long did the whole process take to be able to um, process that visa and for you to get your visa? Does this include like the work application? Okay, include that new work application, but also could you give us the timeline of when you submitted okay. your application mo sa to okay. get that visa? Okay, so with the work itself, um, I was in the interview process for maybe a month and a half, two months. Mm-hmm. For my final interview, I actually had to fly over uh, to meet the people. Right. And then after that, they gave me an offer. I accepted the offer and they prepared the documents. So for them to get the letter of employment is pretty easy. Getting the certificate of eligibility from the Ministry of uh, Immigration uh, took about two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And then they mailed it to me in the Philippines. Once I received all the documents, I just went over to the accredited uh, Japanese um, agency, um, Rally Tours in Mega Mall. And mm-hmm. I just submitted all the documents with the, with their application form. And then I got my passport back in the mail about three days later. Oh, that's fast. Yeah, it's very fast. Wow. So I'm actually, delaying. the visa itself is not the issue. First is getting the work. And then the second, the second, the more difficult one, I would say, is um, POEA with the OFW thing. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, because parang, what does POEA require again for OFWs? So there's so many things. Um, there's they require a copy of your contract with the company. They require a document of the company talking about their finances. To wow. There's uh, they need some kind of guarantee that you'll have uh, healthcare insurance and that kind of stuff. Mm. And then you have to attend like those seminars, like OFW seminars in POEA. And basically, it took me about two months or so with really? POEA just to get clearance to leave as an OFW. Oh, so you need clearance from POEA to be able to leave? Uh, yeah, because uh, they wouldn't let you through the airport 
going yeah. to a country with a work visa without the clearance from POEA that you oh. are registered as an OFW. Oh, okay. All right. That's probably very important to know. Yeah, I, think, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think the rationale for that is a lot of people leave the Philippines uh, more as, um, let's say, caregivers and nurses, for example. So they need to ensure the safety of those people as opposed to myself as a standard employee. Mm, that's right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, medyo madugunga siya. And like, Madugo. if you cannot leave the country without having that requirement from the POEA done, it just, kailangan talaga siya. Very important. Ram, so may mga changes ba in the requirements at all for your type of visa? Or no. for now that COVID has happened? Okay, so there have been no changes at all. Uh, it has only the entry policies, of course. Mm, okay, so it has stayed the same. Yeah. And stayed the same. obviously, hindi pa makakapasok yung foreigners dyan, I think, in Japan, no? Because of COVID. Nope. But let's say, theoretically, I'm in Japan, I have a tourist visa, and then I think, hmm, parang gusto ko mag-apply ng trabaho. Can I, is it kind of a normal practice or is it not discouraged? To be able to apply for jobs in Japan while on a tourist visa? It is not discouraged, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, because you do need that tourist visa to be on the interview process anyway, if they need oh, really? face-to-face interview, right? Oh, okay. So either I that see. or a lot of people take the route of, of becoming a student in Japan. Mm. So they go to Japanese language school, they get a student visa, and a lot of the Japanese language schools know that the main purpose of that later on is for them to find a job. So a lot of them, while in school, they're also actively looking for a job, and uh, they, they already have all the policies in place that it's easy for the student to leave the school at any time at the point where they fi- find a job that would sponsor their visa. Mm, all right. Okay. And if I want to have a chance to be able to work there, could you tell me what types of fields are kind of in demand in so, Japan? I think it's much more difficult to talk about demand as opposed to what jobs are available for non-Japanese speakers. Mm, yeah. right? So non-Japanese speakers typically end up in doing three things in Japan. So the first is a foreign language teacher. So whether it be an English teacher, whether it be maybe you're French and you teach, want to teach French, right? That kind of thing. So there's mm. the English language teaching aspect. And then second, um, a lot of people become recruiters like myself, right? And then the mm. third one is the more specialized skill sets. Uh, so we're talking about computer programmers, engineers. Uh, so a lot of those, they don't really require the language as much as opposed to the technical skill set that they have. Okay. All right. And for anybody who wants to work there and live there, what is your advice for them? So probably you have a couple of paths that you can take. You can take the path that I did, which I was applying here while I was in the Philippines. Um, You could take the other path, which I've seen a lot of people do, which is to do the language school, right? So those are, I would say, the two most viable paths without really changing your profession if you're not in a technical job. Mm, But how long would it take? I mean, so if I go to a language school, Mm -hmm. how long would it take for me to be considered, I don't know, proficient enough to be able to have a job there? 
So here's the thing. A lot of the people who go to language school don't actually end up in a normal profession. A lot of them, for example, end up still doing English teaching, for example. Mm-hmm. So the, the main point of the language school is that so you can secure a visa to stay in Japan while looking for a job. Ah, mm, okay, so parang pathway siya to get a work visa. Yes. And the purpose of a lot of people taking language school is to ultimately work in Japan. Correct. Mm, okay. All right. So hin- walang required level basta lang. <laughs> yeah. Basta lang nasa Japan ka. I mean, it's definitely an advantage already if you are proficient in Japanese, right? I've seen people who take language school for two years and they become really fluent in Japanese. And I've seen people who have been in language school for like five years, but their conversation is horrible. Ikaw, kamusta yung Japanese mo? I can converse. Uh, I can talk to people in Japanese. Uh, my reading is pretty bad since I didn't really study. <laughs> but conversation-wise, um, I think one thing that helped me when I went to Japan, especially with um, cultural adjustments, is that I started joining these uh, sports circles or sports clubs. Uh, and most mm-hmm. of them um, don't have a lot of foreigners. So a lot of the Japanese there as well don't really speak English. So, mm-hmm. of course, me being the only gaijin or foreigner in the group that's not Japanese, of course, I'm like the shiny new toy that everyone wants to talk to. <laughs> so, You're the rare Pokemon. Yes. So, everyone wants to talk to me. Everyone keeps asking me questions in Japanese. And then, so I just started out relying on Google Translate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they talk into Google Translate and then it did show me in English. Uh, or sometimes they just, they type it in so I could read and I could answer. And then from that, I started to pick up. So eventually, to a point where I was fluent enough to have a normal conversations with Japanese people. Wow, that is so cute! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ram, when before we get there, take a kita dun sa when you first arrived in Japan. Ah. Mm-hmm. So when you arrived there, what were the first things that you noticed about Japan? What were the first impressions that you had? Of course, first thing really is the discipline among people, right? Uh, people all follow rules and regulations, even just um, simple things such as lining up on the train, right? It's something that everyone sees. But I think if you look at it on a deeper aspect, a lot of the other things I noticed, for example, uh, back in the Philippines, when you see a, when you're driving by and you see a police officer, you're suddenly like, oh, did I do something bad? Is he going to flag me down? <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's different uh, when you see a police officer. Uh, you feel safe, mm, right? Okay. You feel safe uh, because uh, there's inherent trust there. And of course, uh, that also p- moves on to my next uh, point, which I was surprised about, which was because of the safety that they have here, you see elementary school kids walking to school on their own. Wow. It's something I was surprised about. Well, like, what? These small kids, they go to ride the train, they go they go to school, they're all wearing those um, cute yellow caps and the backpacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. By themselves. Yes. So that was really what surprised me. That's how safe uh, Japan is. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, one last thing that surprised me really um, is the quality of the food, right? Mm-hmm. So 
when you think about the Philippines, nagtitipid ka, you go to a karinderia, then the food is food quality is horrible. Uh, it's greasy, it's salty, it's not very healthy. But here, you go to the cheapest places, and it's it's still good. The quality is still there. Oh, even in the convenience, yung mga Seven Eleven, de ba? Even the convenience store food is pretty good. Go to the cheap restaurants, it's still good. <laughs> wow. Ang sarap. Kaya nga, ano eh, Japan is uh, cuisine heaven then. Yes. And because the quality really of the food there and the freshness yeah. of the food is something else. Yeah, it's and, delicious. <laughs> and yung, yun nga, yung trust and authority, it's miles away from what we have back home. And yeah. I guess that really did surprise you. Yeah, of course. Mm-mm. And so culturally and society, societally. Mm-hmm. No, apart from these, are there any other big differences between Japan and the Philippines? I would say the biggest one I saw is in dating culture. Ooh, tell me about it. So, in the Philippines, of course, we have this concept of legal, where you have to court someone mm-hmm. for maybe months or even years before you start to be formally a couple and be dating, right? Here in Japan, the it's kind of the opposite where before the kokuhaku, they call it, or the confession, sometimes a lot of people, even if you've gone on dates with them 5, 10, 15 times, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're still not a couple. There's nothing there. Um, it's uh, open. It's basically fair game for anyone else. Mm, until the kokuhaku? Correct. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So, parang medyo, anong tawag natin dito? Pakipot? Or... <laughs> Hindi no, naman pakikipong, hindi parang hintayan. If you don't confess, walang mangyayari. That's a big thing. <laughs> mm, why is that the thing? I don't know. Um, it's just their culture, right? So mm. that's that's one stark difference I saw from what is what it was back home. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, and you have um, gotten a partner in there as well. Mm-hmm. And you are... Um, Slated to be married. Yes. Kakasal ka na. Kailan ang kasal mo? Um, so, we're doing the documents at the end of August. But hmm. the actual uh, ceremony itself, uh, we can't really hold it until travel permits. Oh. So, of course, you want both families to be there. Right. The yeah. families back in the Philippines. Also, we want to hold the ceremony itself maybe on some beach in the Philippines. So, of mm. course, we'd have to be able to fly there first. <laughs> mm. At sino naman nag-confess sa inyong dalawa? Ako. <laughs> Ikaw. Oh, syempre, wah. Diba? Syempre, hindi ka papatalo. So, Ram, yung one of the other things I'm super curious about is yung work culture there. Because it is always portrayed in the media na there is a big overwork culture in Japan. Is this true? Is it shifting? So with regards to overworking, if you think about the Japanese society, uh, a lot of the people, the population itself is aging. So we're seeing a lot more old people and a lot less young people and people are less likely to have kids. So with that, um, they are 
really lacking in people to add to the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they are really opening their borders to bringing in people from outside. But still, because of that lack, and bringing in people from the outside doesn't solve the problem itself, which is the aging society. And more so, bringing, e- bringing in people from outside would mean less Japanese proficiency. So it's really difficult for them to fill the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So there is still that a culture of overwork a lot of people still work uh, until midnight or so but that is more prevalent in japanese companies foreign affiliated companies are not as likely to have that mm, okay and because you are in a foreign affiliated company how is your experience with that mm, i mean my work life balance is uh, fantastic <laughs> Good. Don't do any overtime unless absolutely necessary. Wow. Oh, you're in Tokyo, right? Yes, I'm in Tokyo. Yeah. So could you tell me, like, what do you do after work? Mm. What, how do you spend your time? Uh, so recently with the pandemic, <laughs> I've been working from home most of the time. So after that, maybe I'd cook dinner, you know, watch some TV, play some games. Do some exercise if I feel like it. <laughs> but uh, before that, when, before the pandemic, uh, usually I maybe go out for dinner with friends, um, have a couple drinks. Mm-mm. You go play some sports, play some volleyball or basketball. I follow this Instagram account. I think the name is Shibuya Meltdown. And mm-hmm. it just has a lot of photos of workers there, office workers who are dead drunk and are just like on the streets <laughs> sleeping. It is true. It is very common. So (laughs) there's this thing called uh, nomikai, Hmm. which is uh, typically the boss of a company invites the people for drinks, right? Hmm. Uh, And then, of course, he pays for everything. But when that happens, usually um, no one is allowed to drink until the boss drinks. And mm. no one is also allowed to go home before the boss goes home. So if the boss is a strong drinker, then everyone else is stuck. <laughs> oh, okay. So may, that might explain why so many of the, the things I see on the media is that, you know, a lot of these workers drink until oras na midnight. And then they can If the boss doesn't leave, they yeah. can't leave. Is yeah. that the same with them? Um, is there that kind of culture in work as well where if the boss doesn't leave yet parang mahihiya yung teammates na umalis pa so before the boss goes home everyone is actually there's something i saw before where japanese people are actually kind of like it's not encouraged but it's perceived positively when they sleep at work Okay. Because yeah, it yeah. kind of shows that they are working so hard, they get so tired and fall asleep. Yeah, even the prime minister does it, doesn't he? Yeah. But that's just, I think, stupid. <laughs> mm. And yeah. uh, really, people are not judged so much on performance, more on time punching. Time punching, really? So uh, that's also one of the things where Japanese people are overworked. Because they just stay too long and they're mm. not performance Um, Is there an OT pay required uh, in, in um, law in Japan? I think most people under manager level gets OT pay. Mm. So under manager level. So pag over, there's no overtime over pay? Oh, wow. Okay. 
And how else, how else is the working environment for you different there than in the Philippines? How are your colleagues? Ganon. I think for me, it's not very different because in, I'm in a very, very international company. Mm-hmm. So okay. like my, the company's owner is Indian. The, my managing director is Dutch. I have an Italian teammate. I have a New Zealand teammate. I have a French mm. teammate. <laughs> so okay. basically, it's very, very international. So it's not very different from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And are there really a lot of um, gaijins there working? Yeah, there are a lot. Uh, there are a lot in Tokyo. I, I would say you wouldn't really see so much once you go into the countryside. Mm, so in the other big cities as well, like uh, Osaka. Osaka, there's quite a few in Fukuoka. Fukuoka. Yeah. Mm. So you've moved to Japan last 2017, I know. It was 20, 2018. 2018. So you've stayed there for like over four years now? Three years. Is that right? Three years. Three years. Three years. So how has being in a different country, you know, just being in Japan, like grown you as you? Mm, I would say the biggest thing and the biggest difference for me is in terms of independence, Right. In the Philippines, uh, even though at times you, maybe you get your own condo or you move into a different house, you're expected to go back to the family home and have some kind of interdependence. Right. So mm-hmm. being away from that, uh, I think I've grown a lot in my independence. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because now you live with your partner. You, do you live with her? Yeah. We live together. Yeah. Oh, that is so great. Yeah, I think that helps really in uh, preparing you also for like having a family of your own. Yes, of course. Mm-mm. I'm so curious about Japan talaga in general because, you know, we were classmates mm-hmm. for all of the listeners. We were classmates, Ram and I, in Japanese class. So that's how I met him. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy that you're there, Ram. So, yung ano, anime culture jan. <laughs> Is it really, uh, do a lot of Japanese really consume it or is it mostly for the foreigners? No, I think anime really is originally and mainly made for the Japanese audience, right? Uh, Both anime and manga. And that's where all the translation groups come in because all the other people from outside Japan also wanted to consume it, right? Mm -hmm. So really, Japanese people do watch anime uh, and read manga. I see it very often on the train when people are going to work. I see people on their phones watching or reading something. Mm -hmm. And are there any other surprising tidbits of culture about Japan that a lot of Filipinos don't know about? I think one thing here is that the, I would say the the rate of families splitting is quite higher than the Philippines. I guess that is also culturally because the Philippines is a Catholic nation where Mm -hmm. the state doesn't allow divorce, (laughs) where here it is allowed. (laughs) So there's Mm -hmm. just that more, more openness. Also, there's a lot of pressure put on young Japanese people to marry a lot Mm -hmm. more than the Philippines. So a lot of them end up marrying just for the sake of marrying. And then that also ends up later not going well. Oh, okay. What age is the expected age to be married there? So for the more traditional Japanese people, I've seen people get married typically around 23 to 25. Mm, That's young. Yes, it's very young. Uh, But for the more internationalized community, it's, of course, a bit higher. Mm, Okay. 
And this might be a sensitive topic, Ram, no? pero maraming reports about Japan, yung the gender equality mm-hmm. is one of the lowest. Yes. As opposed to other developed nations. Um, could you tell me a bit about your experience on that? Well, so, you're a man, but you know, what do you see? So personally, of course, I wasn't really discriminated on. But uh, typically, the salaries of females are about 20% lower. Oh, wow. And that's known? Yes, that's uh, known. And uh, of course, they're trying to fix it. Uh, but it's really a societal, cultural thing, right? Where I think a lot of the women, first thing is that they have a very generous holiday from the government for maternity leave. So they usually, women, after giving birth, stay out of work for around two years. Oh, wow. And they're compensated. So it depends, of course. Um, sometimes it's just a very minimal compensation, but mm. it's two years still. So part of that brings a gap to their skills, right? Uh, and then aside from that, a lot of the more traditional Japanese families, uh, the women are expected to take care of the kids and stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom. So mm-hmm. that also brings the gap larger. Yeah. Yeah, these are, for most of the world, for the past few, mm-hmm. for the past century or so, that was the the way it was, but it is shifting. Mm-hmm. So I think Japan is just taking slower to get there. Yeah, well, I think that also is because Japanese people culturally are very resistant to change. Mm, okay. So a lot of things there, like the people living in the countryside, they feel like they don't need to learn English. They don't feel like they need to modernize. Japanese people tradition traditionally in their companies, they stay there their whole life. Yeah. 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 So it's it's really that aversion to risk and aversion to change that, mm. that still kept this going on until recently. Mm, okay. So risk aversila, that's p- kind of part of uh, what I makes not, them I them. Just risk, but change in general. They're very averse. Mm. Oh, okay. And it being an aging country then. So talagang mas resistant yung society in general since mas maraming matanda dyan. Okay, so Ram, yung, yung sayo naman, no? yun nga, you have learned to speak conversationally in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with reading, you're still learning. Yeah, learning. So, yeah. Um, how long did it take you to reach that conversational level? And was it super hard to learn it? I would say for me, reaching conversational level maybe it took me, I don't know, a year. Oh, wow. Oy, ambilisa. So it was really quick. Uh, a lot of it has to do with um, going to those groups, sports groups, sports circles I talked to you about, right? So it's not yeah. only in speaking within the group. It's a lot more of what we do after. So usually after we play sports, we go out, have dinner, have drinks, right? And I think the biggest barrier to learning a difficult language is just actually speaking it. So that's mm-hmm. one big thing that a lot of those that go to language school are limited in because they don't have the courage to try and really talk. Whereas me, all I could do was talk. And mm-hmm. it also helped that after playing, we were all drinking. So it gave me more courage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was what I was going to say. So... Oh, basta ikaw hindi ka na nahihiya basta nag-ano ka lang barok Japanese at first. Oh, yeah, it it helped. <laughs> mm, ang galing naman. Tapos yung if I remember correctly, to be able to be considered literate, uh, no, literate mm-hmm. in reading, you need to have at least 3000 something characters in kanji that you know. 
I'm not sure if 3,000 or 5,000. Oh, yeah. It depends. And, uh, for example, to properly read a Japanese newspaper, you need about 9,000. 9,000 kanji characters. And ano, ilang words na alam mo sa tingin mo? <laughs> ilang kanji na? <laughs> uh, Kanji-wise, uh, if we're talking about the Japanese language test, right, I mm. would probably fare around between N4 and N3. So Which that's- is... That's probably like a, f- a few hundred kanji. A few hundred. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, the N5, I think, requires 50 or 100. And then the N4 requires, I think, 300. Oh, you remind me of, of uh, something, which is the, the citizenship. Mm-hmm. So, because you're getting married to a Japanese citizen, you only need an additional three more years to get that citizenship, right? Correct. And um, that three years, uh, two of that has to be spent within Japan. Mm, and you can't leave ever? No, you can leave, but you have to spend two of the three years in Japan to qualify for the citizenship. Oh, okay. I see. Whereas, if you are not getting married, it would take like a total of... So typically, uh, if you're just on the standard track, it will take you 10 years to qualify. Mm-hmm. If, and then they have this uh, program called the Highly Skilled Visa, where basically you have to qualify for a certain number of points to get there. So the points consist of maybe you studied at a university that's uh, connected with Jap- with Japan, or you have a certain level on that Japanese proficiency test, or you... Or it also depends on your age. If you're below 29, you get a little more points. Uh, below mm-hmm. three, and uh, there's also based on the age, the kind of salary that er- you're earning. So once you get 70 out of 100 points, you qualify for that highly skilled visa. And with a highly skilled visa, you only need five years to get the permanent residency. Okay, permanent residency. And yeah. that's five years from where when you get that highly skilled visa. So if you had like a... The highly skilled visa, if I'm not mistaken, also works retroactively. Huh. But of course, it depends on when you apply if you're still below 30 or after 30 or, or 30 and above, right? So that aspect doesn't change, but all the other things uh, work retro- retroactively as long as you meet the eligibility requirements. Okay. So for a person who is not like getting married to a Japanese citizen, it would take around 10 years. Whereas if you are marrying a Japanese citizen, it would be a much shorter time frame. In your case, you know, three years working there plus the next three years of being married. Yes. So six years. Yes. Okay. And do you need a level of proficiency in writing and in uh, reading Japanese before they give you a citizenship? Not too much. Uh, I think there's just a, an interview that you have to go through. So you need to have speaking and listening capability. Mm, there's okay. also the difference between the permanent residency and the um, citizenship, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Which is like the permanent residency, the ba gives you the rights of the citizen except the passport. Is that right? Most of it. Of course, you don't get the right to vote, for example. Oh, not yet. You're just a permanent visitor, basically. So you don't have to reapply for uh, for your visa. Mm, okay. All right. And uh, But you still have the right to be a resident or to stay yes. there for a long time. Yes. Okay. You can stay as long as you want. That's why it's permanent residency, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I get this feeling, Ram, na parang magsistay ka na dyan long term. Am I right? For the moment, I really have no plans of going anywhere else. One thing as well, given the safety that I talked about, I at least want when I have kids for them to spend the first couple of years here. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And that leads us to the question of the podcast. Is the grass greener there in Japan? I would say yes, but there's also a no aspect to it. Yes, expound. So on the yes aspect, right, um, getting the independence, the safety, the discipline here, the kind of spending capacity that you get from work, uh, which, uh, for example, we can talk about even part-timers here. Part-time jobs typically pay 1,000 yen an hour. And say if you work eight hours, that's 8,000 yen a day, right? Mm-hmm. And that amounts to 40,000 yen a week or about... About 15,000 a week, pesos? No, no, no. That's uh, Japanese yen. So mm. 8,000 yen a day, right? So that's around 4,000 pesos. Yeah. Oh, 20,000 so pesos. basically in a month, if you're just working those uh, part-time jobs eight out, like, with normal working hours, you earn a little less than 200,000 yen, which is enough for you to live independently. Oh, mm. wow. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that's uh, one of uh, the big differences as well. So unlike in the Philippines, if you're just working part time, you have to live with your mom or dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. You can't afford living. So there's mm-hmm. that. Yeah. There's the very convenient, always on time transportation. There's the food quality. And when we talk about the no aspect, there's, of course, you miss your family being separated from them. There's the comfort of driving with AC everywhere. Or getting a cheap Grab or Uber because taxis in Japan are horribly expensive. Mm. And mm-hmm. so, so I guess talking a little bit more about that, probably something that you never really think about when you are in the Philippines is how grueling a 10-minute walk to the train station can be if it's <laughs> like very cold winter or a very hot summer day. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So, there's that aspect. And of course, one of the biggest things I miss from the Philippines is once you reach a certain income level, it's very much affordable to have household help. help. Yes. <laughs> miss ko na yan. Miss ko na rin yan. <laughs> Did you have to learn to cook, to do your laundry on yeah, your own? You had to do everything, right? Mm-mm. <laughs> So yeah. back in the Philippines, I really didn't do laundry. So I had to learn that. Um, yeah. I did occasionally. So I could transform and now I cook a lot. <laughs> wow. What are your specialty dishes? I don't have any specialty dishes actually because I, I cook everything. Mm. And uh, my partner loves it. <laughs> Talaga ba? Pakausap nga sa kanya, baka nagkukunwari lang siya. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, that's good to know. Is there anything else apart from that or yun na yun? Um, yun na yun. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That is a very, parang very full answer. You gave both aspects of, you know, the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. What you miss about the Philippines, what's better in the Philippines, and what's, you know, better there in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, Ram, again, congratulations on your upcoming marriage with uh, Rika? Rika-san. Uh, Ruka. Suzuka. Suzuka, sorry. Suzuka-san. For anybody who wants to learn more about you, is there any social media channel that they could follow? I don't post too much recently, but they could follow my Instagram page. Uh, Instagram.com slash wamtan, W-A-M-T-A-N. Okay, that's wamtan, W-A-M-T-A-N on Instagram. And that link is in the show notes. Again, thank you so much, Ram. Napaka-insightful. And if you like this podcast, do reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or on email. Or if you are super generous and you love us, give us some of that money, money, money. 
All of the links are in the show notes. See you in the next two weeks. I'm Kring Lakson with Ramtan, and this is The Greener Side. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.